I don't know that I like to be called president of the seminary because I'm not. <laughs> they call me director, and I don't know what that means. Call me professor, uh, or call me pastor teacher. I would be happy with that. Uh, and uh, the beautiful part of it is, you as a believer in Jesus Christ share absolutely 100% equal with me at the right hand. And don't you ever forget it. And some of you know me a little bit. Uh, when I say I'll meet you at the right hand, do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about living in your position in Christ. And as you live there, and I usually do that when somebody says, will you pray for this or pray for that? When I say I'll meet you at the right hand, you'd be praying as I do. I mean, there's a reason for that. And that's very, very important as we relate uh, to that. Um, my notes. You have the notes. We're going to use PowerPoint to try to lever our way through some of this. And uh, if I meddle, don't blame me. It's the book I'm using that meddles. In other words, uh, when God's word says something... Don't get mad at the speaker, get mad at the, the author, the divine author. No, it means conform <laughs> in that matter, and that's what we're talking about when we relate to that. I bring greetings from a bunch of saints in Oregon. I know uh, Kevin probably mentioned that uh, when he came back from up there. Uh, I had a foretaste of glory divine when Kevin and Joyce were with me. Uh, they were up for a wedding, and we had some good times of fellowship there. And uh, so it's always a blessing. 18 years. I had more hair 18 years ago. Uh, we have done this conference 18 years. We have been all over Titusville in those 18 years. And we've had a wonderful time of blessing together in God's word and the fellowship of the book. Is what glues us together as we share. And so we're talking about a subject that is abused, unfortunately, as we uh, share in these, this material on pleasing God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're grateful again for the uniqueness of your word. We're thankful that when we read the mail addressed to us, that we learn what you want for us, and we learn what pleases you. And it's too easy to say, no, I can do it better. And we pray that your spirit might override some of those feelings that we can do it better than you. May you bless in the time we spend. Most of all, we pray your spirit will have freedom in our teaching. In Christ's name, amen. I use PowerPoint for the purpose of moving. That is, I have to lever... I. I'm used to being in a classroom, and I'm used to going through line by line by line, and verse by verse, and uh, going through the Greek and the Hebrew and all of that. And uh, it's uh, if I get if I don't have it up here, I can't move fast. So put on your thinking caps because we're going to be working with some of the things you think about, and we trust the Holy Spirit. We'll get some thoughts in your minds about some things. So in the end, message number four is going to relate to the glory of God. 
What pleases God is according to his will and brings him glory. And that's what we want to talk about. So uh, why do I have a Roma 1, Roma 2? Because I didn't have time to break it in half, and I didn't know where I was going to break on this anyway. Let me turn. What's it on? Do I get turned? Oh, boy. Okay. We're in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 20 and 21. It's been a few years ago that I spent several years preaching in Hebrews. The exegesis of Hebrews is awesome. And I don't want to overuse that word. In the book of Hebrews, it's kind of a, when you realize, if, now see if you're in seminary, I'd say, how many chapters are there in, in the book of Hebrews? <laughs> and Hebrews 13 is the last chapter. And so it's a culminator. And so let's take a moment, let's see if I can find the right buttons. There we go. Uh, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, and I'll mention some of that because this is our theme, This, this uh, my messages, uh, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Okay, his sight. Through the agency, I've got to quit doing this, through, through Jesus Christ, I always translate, um, uh, to whom is glory forever and ever, amen. And what I did, I, I, I always am trying to make some adjustments uh, so we understand it. Now, let's do the adjustments. And uh, what this is, is the translation. And you have these in your notes. Most of what I'm doing up here in the overhead is, I mean, on the PowerPoint. Just dated myself, didn't I? Overheads. What are they? Uh, <laughs> I started using overheads 50 years ago. So I use uh, visuals <laughs> rather often. And so, now the God of peace, the one who led up out from among dead ones, push the right button, uh, uh, our, our, ooh, uh, typo, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. May he thoroughly adjust you in every good work. Now you see, that's a lot different than what we had when we read the AV. Uh, in that the, the AV translated make you perfect. It's the word catartizo, which is a word which means to thoroughly adjust. Put you in adjustment. And I'm not going to preach it till later uh, in that matter. Thoroughly adjust you in what? Every good work with the purpose of doing his desirous will. In other words, you don't have to do his desirous will in your own strength. It doesn't work. And that's why I asked that question in the beginning of the title. Are you going to accept God's desirous will or are you going to dream it up? Come up with how you're going to please God. And that's the idea here uh, in this. And so desirous will is a Greek word, thelema. Uh, it says, while doing in us the thing well-pleasing before him. Doing in us a thing well-pleasing before him. He is doing a work that will be well-pleasing. 
think you can do it better than he can? That's what some of us do. Uh, through the agency of Jesus Christ, to whom is the glory into the ages of the ages. Amen. Now, that's a little bit different than some of your translations. I just tagged along in what it says in the text. Uh, and some of this fine-tuning will help you. You know, I, I just love that thoroughly adjust word. I don't like the word perfect. Only he is perfect. But when he adjusts you to what he wants you to be, it's nice to be clay in the potter's hand, isn't it? In that matter, that's so important. The human attitude toward pleasing God. I picked up a book that I had seen 30 years ago. By a fellow who was a pastor over in the Orlando area, uh, J.C. Sproul. Any of you read Pleasing God? I can say he printed it about 30 years ago. It was rather interesting because I picked it up because I wanted to see what he had to say about it. And I found out that it was interesting to me because he's reformed in his theology, was reformed, he changed it. Did you hear he changed his theology? He died. And so, but it, uh, anyway, he changed his theology but in that. But it was really interesting. Reformed people believe that you don't have a sin nature. And it's really interesting to read what he said. He talks about the flesh, but he doesn't talk about the sin nature. I mean, it's a real conundrum. And I, that's beside the point. Uh, this ignorance of God and divine pleasure. I've been pitching our classes for fall. Uh, that is, on, we have an evening school program on, Monday night, on Tuesday nights, and we cycle in the seminary. We do uh, two classes every quarter, which means in three, uh, three years, we do 18 hours, I mean 18 quarters of 12 hours each in our evening school, and they're online. And I've been pitching it because the two most important courses, I think, in our seminary curriculum, and this is not seminary level, it's 12 hours. How can you teach the Christian life in 12 hours? How can you teach theology proper in 12 hours? It's about impossible. But I keep telling people, you've got to get that down. If you don't know who your God is, how can you live a Christian life? That's so key in that matter. And so what happens? Uh, presumption assumes that we have a capacity to do what is pleasing God. We don't understand him. We, can't, we think we can do as good as he we make plans, don't we? We have these things about pleasing him. I'm a witness to that very thing. I've been a Christian a long time, by God's grace. And I remember as I started to understand a little bit about the Christian life, I was always trying to find a way to please God. And think up some really great things to please God. And, um, you know, oh, there's that old, um, and I'm old school, I guess. Many, well, some of you have got enough gray hair to know what I'm talking about. You know, when, uh, when you learn that you're to be a good Christian, you don't, you don't uh, drink and you don't chew and you don't go with girls to do. You know, that was really key. And it's what you didn't do that made you a good Christian. You're going to please God because you don't do these things. 
and it derails the Christian life immediately. And I was raised in that. Do you want the rest of the list? Don't go to movies. Don't dance. Don't bob, bob your. I couldn't bob my hair. Didn't hair to bob. Uh, you know, don't wear. Women can't wear pants. On and on and on. Because I was raised in that environment. And so everything to please God is what I don't do. I remember, I was in a church, visited a church, and and it's a whole story all by itself. We were it was in uh, Sierras in California, and I visited on vacation. I went in, and it was the weirdest church I ever saw. Not quite. Every woman in that church wore a floor-length dress. You could not be an officer teaching Sunday school or anything as a woman without having a floor-length dress. And I thought, well, yeah, these are the high Sierras. 49ers found gold up here in 1849. Maybe they're still wearing 49er costumes. You know, I mean, it was, and it was a legalistic thing. And it was funny, God led me into that place for fun reasons. But presumption, imagination is not based on fact. You know, it's a question. I I used to be involved with the Christian school business. And if you'd ask kids, what can you do to please God? Boy, can you get a list of them. It starts early for Christians. I am going to figure out how I'm going to please God, and I am so good at it, he is going to be super happy with me. By pure imagination. And that's, that is, it's sad. I can provide pleasure to God by my own criteria. I can do something to make God happy with me. How can you make a happy God happier than he is? You know, the word bless, makarios, you can't make him any happier. What pleases me must please God. Isn't that what happens? I can say that because I went through it. As I was growing up, by the time I was ready to go to Bible college, I thought, whoa, I've got all of these standards. And I went to Bible college, what did I learn? More standards. And they were not in that book that I have sitting there. A lot of them. So you could be Joe spiritual by not doing a lot of things. And, that's, uh, and so I, I can please God by my works, independent uh, of, de, uh, of the divine uh, revelation. I hope that one of the motives you have for studying the Bible is so you can find out what God does so he can be pleased through you. If that's not a motive... And that all of a sudden means you're going to read your mail and not somebody else's. There are no contradictions in Scripture. But I'm a grace believer. I'm not a law believer. I'm not going to please God by uh, keeping the law. I have somebody that I know fulfilled the law. And that's a beautiful thing when we understand that very thing uh, in that matter. Revelation and illumination Revelation means telling something something they would not normally otherwise know. God does it. If we didn't have revelation, we wouldn't know anything about God. Outside of natural revelation and uh, what it teaches. What do we learn from natural revelation? Romans 1. We learn there is a a power. We learn there is dunamis. We know there is power and there is godhood. 
There's an intelligent divine being behind creation. But we have the Bible. Except what God says uh, brings him pleasure from his children. If he says he's pleased by something, we don't have to fancy it up with our own reasoning and make it something we think is going to please God. I sometimes think God must have a tremendous sense of humor with people that do such stupid things. I mean, it just seems that it always is. I mean, people are always contriving to do that very thing. Divine revelation tells us what the desirous will of God is. We're going to talk a little bit about it. Uh, as we move through my four messages, uh, you thought I was just going to talk about pleasing God. His desirous will, if you know what his desirous will is, you know what pleases him. You know what pleases him. I know you've been through Fellow and Thelema in uh, Bible Institute. And I know Kevin has covered this uh, in your services. Uh, but it's interesting when we understand... <coughs> That when, when we need to know that desirous will. And I'm not ready to jump into that because uh, I've had an interesting reputation in that I've been criticized for talking about the will of God too much. They say, oh no, you just talk about the will of God. If you don't know what the will of God is, why are you doing what you're doing? And so we'll talk about it. Why? Because remember, Hebrews 13.20 talks about philema, about the desirous will. And so we need to understand it. And I think Kevin has passed out some charts. I'm going to hand them out when I get to that message tomorrow. And that is uh, a chart on 11 things that God desires in your life. And it comes right out of those two, the verb and the noun, fellow and philema. And uh, helps you do that. That uh, answers a lot of questions. And not desirous will is not God is not a hard thing. And I, I'll illustrate a little teeny bit uh, at another point. Uh, so the response of the uh, spiritual believer to the leading of the spirit. I never thought that I could be maturing enough so that I would grasp the what uh, the leading of the spirit was quickly. I always thought it was a big process. I stopped, wanted to think about what God would have me preach or speak here. It took me about 10 seconds and I knew this was the subject he wanted. Not a question. Because he led me to this subject and it was, it's amazing that happened, it's happening more and more and more. You don't have to be as old as I am to have that happen. But it's, I mean, if you want to use, like, you might not like the word I'm going to use, but it's a great word. I say it's fun when God does that for you. It is just pure fun. And then the, the relationship of divine enabling with divine pleasure and glory. Glory. Oh, like I say, I'm all ready to preach everything at once. Okay, divine elements for pleasing God in Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Knowing the character of God and the work of the persons. That is called theology proper. If I say the word essence, does it confuse you? Or is it something that say, ah, I know that. 
attribute. Do you know what an attribute is and what they are? Those are the components that are the basis for divine activity. If we understand nature, the nature of God, it's beautiful to know your God. And that's why we do theology proper. And I say do it. I mean, we have classes in it and we study it and it's so key in that area. And so the character of God, permitting God to thoroughly adjust you. Whoops, I maybe should change that first word from permitting. A lot of people are going to say, uh, if he wants to, uh, if it happens, if I let him, in a sense, no. He can adjust, thoroughly adjust. And the beautiful part of it, each one of us has our own foibles and our own flaws and our personality and the Holy Spirit can make a perfect adjustment. He can patch the net. He can set the bone. I'm using Greek illustrations. And that thoroughly adjust. Doing the desirous will of God. Work, work, work. Look at how many songs are in the hymn book to talk about work. Over and over and over. And we're going to work and work and work. I'm going to work till Jesus comes. The best part of it is to be at rest and let him work. That's what it's all about. It seems like there's a chapter in Hebrews on that. I'm just checking to see if you registered. Okay, it's chapter 4. Hebrews 4 is the rest chapter. What is rest? Rest is cessation from labor. You're not working. And that's the beautiful part of it. In Hebrews 4, you have a word that just simply cessation from labor. And uh, I mean, once in a while I've had discussion with the Seventh-day Adventists. And I say, well, I believe in the Sabbath. But I don't believe in the Seventh-day Sabbath. I believe in a seven-day Sabbath. And they look at you and I say, well, I have a Sabbath rest. A Sabbatismos out of Hebrews 4. Every day should be a day of rest, of cessation from our own labor and letting him labor through us. So that becomes rather important. I'm sorry to be meddling. No, I'm not in that matter. And so what we have this privilege uh, of being able to relate to God as he thoroughly adjusts us and doing his desirous will in perfect conformity to his desirous will. I commend to you the will of God. It can't get any better than in the will of God. And sometimes you say, oh, I'm suffering. I have all of these problems. I have this big problem. My problem is I'm getting old. You know, and um, I don't like to think about birthdays. I went to a high school reunion I won't tell you which one, um, but I went to a high school reunion uh, this last fall, and it was kind of interesting. I thought, look at all these old people. <laughs> and I thought, this, this thing of age, I, I don't get up out of chairs as fast as I used to. But I went to that reunion, and I found out almost everybody, I think there were only two people that were left in that, oops, I'm giving too many hints, 
that were still alive from that class that were still working. Everybody else had been retired long, long time. And I thought, huh. And I'm glad that somebody lets me work by giving me the strength to do so. Doing his desires well, the thing that is well-pleasing and, and matching in line with the glory of Jesus Christ. How much glory has Jesus Christ gotten in your life in the last 24 hours? I will define glory tomorrow if you don't remember the, de- the definition. But how many people have seen the life of Christ in you? Because you've let him make the adjustment and because that's what can happen. He makes the adjustment and you know when they see Christ in you, what do they see? It's called eternal life. The real thing. Real eternal life. Eternal life, no beginning, no ending. The only way that any human being can have eternal life is to have the indwelling presence of the God, the Son, who is eternal. That's called grace, by the way. Real, real grace. Okay. Parameters. In every good work. These, these every terms are interesting in the New Testament. Uh, the Greek root is pos. And it occurs in masculine, feminine, neuter, singular, plural, all over the place. Every means every without exception. You know, if he is working in your life and it's a good work, that's the way it ought to be. If you think that you can contribute to him by adding your work to what he's doing in your life, uh, you're, you're not living by God's estimate. By what he has to say, and I use the word estimate up here. Good by God's estimate, not by our estimate. Look at the list of good works. I remember when I went to Bible college, and I wanted to know what God's will was for my life and where I was going. I'm sorry, in a way, I'm doing some reminiscing in these messages because that's taken me back through my life. When I went, I sat down at the, my senior year of college, I knew God wanted me in seminary. I didn't know quite why. I had anticipated when I started college going to the mission field. And God changed my direction. I had no idea I'd be a seminary professor when I came out of uh, Bible college. I had a suspicion that I would be a pastor. And uh, I about fell over. God put me in the pastor and in the seminary position as well. And this year, I have crossed 50 years of official pastoral ministry. That means having been called by a church and being a pastor. And so 50 years, I thought, ooh. I, I mean, I look back and I said, man, you would have been gone crazy. You wouldn't have wanted to go and hide in a hole if you knew you'd be doing this for this long. Uh, because God, but God has made it awful fast. I mean, it's beautiful. And I recommend it. In his sight, I want to talk a little bit about this down before him. Down before him. Enopion. We'll talk about it. I have a box in one of the pages of my notes that has some material on it. When you're down in front of him, you can't hide from God. 
You're in his presence. I am in his presence. Tonight, every individual in this room is down before him because he's God. I remember a song we used to sing in college quartet. He sees all you do, he hears all you say. My God's a watching all the time. Not familiar to anybody? Hmm. I'm from a different world. <laughs> no. And you'll see some things in these messages that will demonstrate some of that. Key concepts that relate to pleasing God. Those keys, thorough adjustment, let him do it, you can't do it. Self-improvement doesn't work in grace. Grace with self-improvement is gone. It annihilates it. If you're going to self-improve, be careful. His desirous will. Love the will of God. Don't be ashamed of being dead center in the will of God. And I don't care what any other saint tells you. If you know you are in the center of the will of God, enjoy that and love it. Because too many people say, oh, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. How many doors did you knock on this week? You know, that's the game plan of some people on his good pleasure. We're not going to talk about good pleasure quite. Well, we are because we're, talking, we're not talking about eudokia. We're talking about a different word and his glory. And again, these are in your notes so you can kind of tag along as we go. Key related terms. Aresco is a word for please. Uh, it means to please. Uh, that is uh, to receive favor as favorable. Uh, to be acceptable. Uh, Thayer... Uh, the uh, lexicographer uh, says to please, to strive to please, to accommodate oneself to the opinions and desires of others. Okay, let's make it a God-related definition. And that is uh, to accommodate oneself to the opinions and desires and interests of God. Doesn't that feel good? No, it shouldn't feel good. You should know it's good. That's data. Okay, eurasteo is the other word, and it has a little EU in front of it. And Greek is so much fun. I mean, I, I just can't, I can't oversell Greek. It's just, uh, oh, by the way, um, Pascal and Dante said to say hello. Uh, Pascal is in New Jersey uh, with his dad. Pray for him. Uh, his dad had a stroke, and Pascal persevered and stuck through the difficulties that went with his father having a stroke, and him finding out that he was the one that had the power of attorney, which is really tough when dad has a stroke and the situation came up, and he weathered that storm, and I think he came out a far better Christian guy because of it. And so, but remember him, because he's got two months, he's going to be with his dad and uh, the family, and so remember him. Dante would have been here if he'd have gotten his airline tickets on time. Uh, <laughs> do I need to say more? Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, but EU is good. 
it's for the word agathos. It doesn't even smell like agathos, does it? The two letters EU with an, an alpha, gamma, uh, alpha, th- uh, theta, omicron, sigma. It doesn't even look like it. There's no over, I mean, no overlap. Well, that just happens to be an interesting Greek, Greek prefix. Um, anybody been to a memorial service or funeral recently? Eulogy. A good logos. A good word. See, the EU is there. Have you talked to the father like you should be as a spiritual believer when he's done something for you? It's called Eucharistia. Okay, Eucharistia, what is it? Thanksgiving. Good grace. Yeah, Steve's not back there nodding. I think he's taught this before in that matter. And this word means to be well-pleasing, to provide pleasure that makes the object happy. I've got plenty of time. I haven't changed my time for Morgan time. How much revelation do we have to work with finding out about well-pleasing? Aresco occurs 27 times in the New Testament. Not all of it's in grace revelation. Some of it's in the law section in the Gospels. But uh, 27 times. Compound forms occur 15 times. There's plenty to work on. But that's what I've been doing for weeks. I'm getting this material together. And uh, so we have a lot of things we can work with. Let's move. You have these charts in your notes. I didn't color them in your notes. So I'm sorry, but uh, it didn't work that way. And so you see, uh, this breaks it out. When I teach, I wanted to, I'm teaching people, and you say, I can't teach. If you're a believer, you have a potential to teach ABCs. Hebrews tells us that. You should be able to tell anybody else how to live the spiritual life. If you don't know how, you better get there. So that you can tell them how to be filled believers, how to have victory over their enemies. And so these materials, I've done the lexical work for you. And the concordance work with this one and this one. You resteo. And you have it all there. I'm not going to go into it in more detail because I know I'm behind. Your relationship to the Godhead. A recognition and respect for God the Father. Abba. What does that mean? In what language? It's interesting how many words are ab have an a, an a and a b in them in our English. In other languages, ab. Abba happens to be Aramaic. Av is the word in Hebrew, and Abba is the Father. And so when we talk about Father, when we say Father, when it says the God, he says the Father. How well do you know the Father? After all, if you're counted as seated at the right hand, at the right hand of the Father, you should kind of know a little bit more about him maybe than you do. Right? You can't get any more intimate than sitting at the right hand because you're in Christ at the right hand. And when you're seated there, you have that unique opportunity to say, Abba. 
I always think it's funny that it wasn't in Hebrew instead it was in Aramaic. Now you got a lot of there's some interesting things behind it. The God of peace. The God of peace. What is peace? An absolute unruffledness of mind. Tranquility of mind. Unruffledness. The God of peace. Oh, I have them listed in your notes. Um, and it says the one having led Jesus out from among dead ones. Who's Jesus Christ? What does it say in chapter uh, 12 of Hebrews? It says Jesus was the shepherd of the sheep, the great one. The great one. And you see, I translated it because that's the way it works. The shepherd of the sheep, the great one. Mega. On it. As a kid, I had to learn mega. Because I was having fun with science and they started talking about megaton bombs. In other words, they were big bombs. And I had to learn that mega meant big. And so, and so the word great here, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. The shepherd of the sheep. Oh, I, this passage, uh, this is a problem for some of us who are in this kind of ministry. Kevin has that problem all the time. He finds a passage of scripture and he would just as soon preach 10 messages on that one verse because there's so many details in there that are preachable. And then you have to be led by the spirit to narrow it down in that matter. The eternal covenant. This is a covenant made between God the Father and God the Son. And it involves his being what? The shepherd. And I'm not going to go into any detail. I'm just going to drop this real quick. Genesis 22 talks about the fact there was a fourth Abrahamic covenant in which there is a single shepherd that is plural. That is, the shepherd has got the opportunity to emulate, the sheep have the opportunity to emulate the shepherd. That's his covenant. That's why people could have seen, if you did it this, today, how many times did they see eternal life? Because they saw the shepherd. They saw the great shepherd. And when they saw him, what greater privilege do you have and I have than to manifest him? That's because of the covenant that was made in eternal, eternity past between the Father and the Son. And I believe that covenant probably was made even before the creation of the universe. But that's what I believe is I need some more verses. Oh, you know these? When you talk about Jesus Christ as a shepherd, I've given you the list. He's called the good shepherd. What's good mean? He makes you happy. He looks out for the sheep to make you happy. Sometimes he has to take you to the woodshed as it were. But he's doing it for your good. Good shepherd, John 10. I always smile. My father uh, preached a message in a church which he would not normally have been caught in. Uh, because of family relationship, he spoke in this church. They begged him to, and he did. And he preached the message on Psalm 22, 23, and 24. 
the psalm of the great shepherd, the good shepherd, and the chief shepherd. Each of those psalms. That was an old outline that was normal. And uh, then there's the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Bishop. He's the overseer of your emotions over your souls. If you want to oversee your souls, you've gone to the wrong place. Let Christ as the uh, bishop of your souls take the oversight. Uh, that's where we have a lot of problems. We think we can handle our souls, and that gets us into multitudes of problems. But when we're related to Christ as spiritual believers, he takes care of that issue. That shouldn't have been there because I wasn't didn't have time to do it anyway. Because Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd, there's this eternal covenant, and I just said this, so I'm going to shift it so you don't get a chance to hustle that. Who makes this adjustment? <clears throat> May he thoroughly adjust you. Now here I get you a Greek word. Do I dare ask an embarrassing question? How many of you have taken Greek in Bible Institute? Are being taken by it. Bob has, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, they get a bonus. You come to a Bible conference and you've had a little Greek, you've got a bonus. You know, you, you get really a lot of, there's a lot of blessings in, and yeah, you might forget some of it, but. <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, my problem is I have, I'm in it every day almost. And it's so much fun. And. And it's so beneficial. And when you catch it, kata is a word, a preposition which intensifies this. In other words, when you put a kata in front of many of the Greek words, uh, it means pound the table for emphasis. Pound the ta- table for emphasis. And it's a preposition that means down, down upon, and it deten- intensifies it, the idea of thoroughly. Thoroughly adjust. This word artizo means to bring in order, uh, organize, or arrange. It's used in two places in the New Testament, and I didn't even put them in the notes, and that is, it's used of fishermen mending their nets. It is also used of setting a broken bone, making the adjustment so it's a good set. And that's the idea of this. Uh, And so artizo is that idea as a root. And so to thoroughly adjust, bring into order, make useful, uh, to thoroughly equip. Hmm. I think that has the idea to make pleasing too. If he's going to adjust you, who's he going to, why is he adjusting? So he can be pleased with you. And so when he makes that adjustment, oh, you can sit down and make your plans. And figure out how you're going to make these adjustments so you can make God be impressed with you. He's not impressed. The best we have can't impress him. What we have by grace in Christ is something that's impressive to our God. And it makes him very happy. Thirteen times in the New Testament. You have these notes in your notes. Uh, God the Father adjusts. the thorough adjustment, I'm, again, you, I have them there because I know I don't have time. Um, but what is interesting here, when it says me, the, he thoroughly adjusts, he uses an aorist tense at a point in time when you need adjustment. What does it say? He actively, we hope, adjusts. 
It's what we call an optative voice. And it's a wish. Boy, there are a lot of people, if God was going to be needed to adjust believers, they are resistant to his adjustments. I wasn't taught that way. I don't want to have it affect my life this way. It's going to affect my family. It's going to affect my friends. It's going to affect my relationship to uh, people in the community. If God makes the adjustment, and it might not work, because you won't let it. That's why he uses this optative mood. It's, an, it's, not, it's a rather rare mood in the, in the Greek. And so, and uh, may he is third person singular uh, in it. The idea of thoroughly ad- adjusting, relating the Christian and the pleasure of God. To pre- prepare something to meet and accomplish his desires. I just think it's wonderful when we understand that God... See, five o'clock. Not quite. Uh, but what, to think that God will make these adjustments and do what He wants, sets us to do what He intended us to do. I am fascinated because the more I know my God, the better I understand I'm dealing with a God that knew it in eternity past. He made an adjustment for little old me. So that I would be what he wanted me to be. That adjustment is just plain overwhelming to know that. And it's for you too. You know, when God adjusts you as a believer, he's the creator of the universe and he's the one who makes the adjustment. Yet I don't know why he just doesn't say, I'm going to do it and you can't have anything to do with it. We're not fatalists. What happens? God says, I'm going to give you that opportunity to let me adjust you. And you know Christians, I know Christians that don't want divine adjustment and they get so carnal, sometimes you even wonder if they're believers. And you know them. I'm sorry. I know you just put faces on people when we said that because that's what happens. And so uh, to reject God's adjustments kind of nice to humble yourselves before God and let him do his way. Somebody says, oh, I wouldn't be happy. You don't know what happiness is. Because you would be happy without a question. Every good thing and every, or good work, I'm dealing with a textual issue, I'm going to skip it because of time. To do. Do is act. It's poyao is our verb, and it, uh, to do his desirous will. You don't go out and take a list off of a board and say, okay, I've got 20 things here that are the desirous will of God. I'm going to throw a dart and I'm going to pick one. No, you need to be able to identify the desirous will of God for you. No dart throwing, no guessing, no touchy-feely. You know, that's what happens. Chris and dumb today and I emphasize that properly. I spelled it D-U-M-B. Today has this idea that if it feels good, it's godly. And there are a whole lot of people with lots of good feelings that are so far from being spiritual uh, they hardly even know who the Holy Spirit is. That's really true. I, I mean, I have, I'm, I'm in my cloistered existence doing what I do. 
And I run into many Christians that have that problem. Uh, and uh, I'm not out in the world like most of you are. I'm busy doing what I like to do. No, I love to study on it. And so the Father is the one who is doing in us or in you. Uh, it's interesting, these textual problems. I, it's intriguing looking at text. And I made the note, it's in your notes, so you know it's there. Uh, when I put TR in there, by the way, it's Texas Receptus. Texas Receptus can be different than majority text. So be careful uh, on that. The thing well-pleasing. Okay, here we go. Before him. Before him. I've got it in a box around an opion. This word has the idea right down in front of with no obstacles between you and him. He sees you where you are. You're immediately there. You can't run and hide from God. It's the most ridiculous thing that a Christian can do. To think they're going to run because you don't like what God's doing with you or wants you to do. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. Because you're right in his very presence. It's kind of interesting because we don't always think this way, but we ought to. In Christ, we're seated at the right hand. And at the right hand, you can't get any closer to God the Father than you are in your position. You can't be more intimate in your posi- than you are in your position. You're seated on a three-seated fo- three throne, as it were, and you're seated on the right-hand seat with Christ. One side is a vacant for the moment because the Holy Spirit's down here and he's vacant on the other side of the Father. But here we are, seated at the right hand. Now, don't think I'm getting jumping track here. But I'll tell, I tell every, every opportunity I have, snuggle at the right hand. Snuggle at the right hand. You say, oh, that's, that's too feminine. No, it isn't. To snuggle. That's so childish. No. It's, we are all called children of God. Snuggle at the right hand. Be close. Permit that closeness. Cultivate that closeness. Let that happen. If you can't snuggle at the right hand, this world is going to drive you absolutely insane. In 2020. Look at what's going on. At the right hand, where am I? Beautiful. You know, I just think about it. And so we're in his sight. He sees us. And there's a box in there. that, Again, I threw it in there for somebody who might want to study it and work it. So we'll give you the idea. Uh, Through the agency of, I'm seeing my time is slipping from where I want to be. I'm going to skip some of this. And now here I finally get to my outline and it's time for me to stop almost. No, I knew I'd have a long introduction. The new commandment in things pleasing God. I'm on Roman 1. I don't have my page number because I'm not following my pages. I stepped too far back. But my little born ones, and I'm going to translate as I go along. My little born ones, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. And hereby we know that we are 
are of the truth and shall and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, uh, who knoweth all and knoweth all things. Beloved, little born ones, beloved ones. That's why I say it's so much fun at the right hand. If our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. We retain a proper relationship. And whatsoever you ask, you will receive of him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Commandments? No, not rocks, not stones. This is what book do I see up there? First John. John in the epistle records the upper room. And when Christ says, I'm giving you a new commandment, there are two parts of it, and that's why I believe it's plural here. It says the new commandment for the church and the primary commandment is that you love one another of the same kind. In Oregon, I don't know where the signs are coming from, but I drive by houses that have black and white sign, uh, like a realtor sign, and it, they'll have, one of them says, love one another. And I look at it and scratch my head because in the Greek it says love one another of the same kind. That's what the church is all about. You get together to love one another, direct somebody else's love, not yours. Remember Christ said, my love. You direct his love. It's God's love that you direct, not yours. And so you direct that love toward another believer and you're, you're keeping his commandments, and so you're pleasing down before or in his sight. You practice the new commandment and love one another. What's the other part of the commandment? The other, I think the other commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Because you have the same kind of love that I had in the Son that is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, let's see what I'm going to do here. Uh, Ralph Waldo Waldo Emerson I've seen this quote several different ways have you heard it before what you do speak so loudly I made sure it was an adverb that I cannot hear what you say what I learned was what you do speak so loud that I can't hear so somebody corrected the grammar. I don't know whether he was right in the first place or not. What you do speaks so loud I can't hear what you say. Don't forget that. Because in your Christian life, you can talk about being so spiritual and so close to God, but how you behave betrays you if you're not there. Don't be a Galatianite and try to impress people with your holiness. And say, look how spiritual I am. Look how wonderful I am. Because we can see. We can all see. 